0: Russia targets key Ukrainian cities as President Zelensky tells citizens to prepare for a winter onslaught. The
1: worst thing is that air raid alarm was not on, so it was very unexpected
0: sound of explosion. No one was ready to that. Plus, a milestone on Ukraine's road to membership of the European Union. I think it would be very difficult for
2: any European government at this point in time to say uh, we can't send this positive signal to Ukraine. It's really vital to send it.
0: And Later in the program, Ukraine's Jewish community comes together in solidarity for Israel and Ukraine in hopes both will stand victorious. Today is Monday, November 13th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Lori London. Russian forces have ramped up attacks in eastern Ukraine, targeting key cities, including the capital Kyiv, for the first time in months. President Volodymyr Zelensky is warning Ukrainians to prepare for Russian attacks on infrastructure as winter approaches and said troops are anticipating an onslaught in the eastern theater of the war. I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. A lot's been going on in the past just a couple days, even some pretty strong explosions in Kyiv coming under attack for the first time in months over the weekend, according to what we're hearing. You live in Kyiv. What did you experience? Uh,
1: Well, it was quite a stressful Saturday, especially Saturday morning, as uh, I woke up personally of a sound of explosion, and it was quite a strong sound of explosion. It did not sound as a hit, but it sounded as air defense on a missile, particularly because at this point you can already, like citizens of Kyiv can already, you know, understand what the sound is. And the thing is that air raid alarm was not on so it was very unexpected sound of explosion no one was ready to that and uh, air raid alarm started a couple of minutes after the explosion according to to the air defense and air forces of ukraine russians attack the capital with a ballistic missile the reason why air raid alarm was not on is still investigated as a result of this attack no casualties were reported and no hits to critical or residential infrastructure. However, 18 residential private buildings are reported uh, damaged as well as private enterprise facility.
0: And the damages were caused by the debris of the missile. Well, I'm glad you're safe. It sounds very scary and unsettling living in a war zone like this and not expecting that in the capital city for sure. And then an interesting situation in Kherson. This attack in Kiev came on an important milestone. Uh,
1: Yes, exactly. Saturday was uh, November 11th and uh, this was an anniversary, one year anniversary of the liberation of the city of Kherson from Russian occupation. Uh, Last year Ukrainian armed forces managed to liberate the city and it was one of the most successful counter-offensive battles for the city and uh, the most successful counter-offensive results of last year and um, Russian forces shelled the city of Kherson quite seriously on this anniversary day. According to the uh, According to the Ukrainian officials and uh, local authorities of the city of Kherson, two people were injured and one person uh, was killed during these attacks. The attacks were targeting mostly a central part of the, of the city and residential areas and private sector where also residential buildings are located. And uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of damages as well due to the debris and due to the heat. Also, it was reported that Russian forces hit the central library in the city of Kherson also in the central part of the city and uh, according to the reports uh, rescue team it, it took almost two hours t- uh, to the rescue team to stop the fire in the building the building is seriously damaged but no casualties
0: were reported from that side any updates on the front line i know things are really heating up and president Zelensky is warning everyone to plan for that
1: yeah well situation is extremely difficult extremely tough uh, uh, along the front line two main parts of the front line remain under the most intensive fire and battlefield is quite hot in that area. We're talking about Kherson region uh, and we're talking about Donetsk region. However, Ukrainian armed forces reported that uh, Ukrainian army managed to actually raise, as it was reported, the Ukrainian flag in the gray zone of the Kharkiv region, which is also on the border of Kharkiv region and Donetsk region. It was reported that this zone was under both russian and ukrainian control it was changing uh, and this territory was is called gray zone for uh, well since the, the last liberation of kharkiv region uh, last year by the ukrainian forces so at this point this area is under ukrainian control and uh, it was also confirmed by the ukrainian officials that ukrainian military controls this area but is not constantly uh, staying in that area also there are no particular changes, at least confirmed changes by the Ukrainian armed forces from Kherson region or Donetsk region. The city of Avdiivka remains under very high defense actions by the Ukrainian forces and Russian forces are trying to advance in that area also very intensively. Similar situation in the Kherson region, but there are talks that it might be soon confirmed that Ukrainian forces had certain success in there. However, at this point, we cannot verify this information independently and we cannot confirm any movements forward uh, by the Ukrainian forces easier. Last but not least, the area of Mykolaiv region and Kharkiv region, uh, these areas uh, are so-called pre-frontline areas. They are constantly under very heavy shelling and both Mykolaiv and Kharkiv region uh, citizens are under constant attacks.
0: Anna Chernakova reporting for VOA from Kiev. Thank you so much for the update and stay safe. Meanwhile, President Zelensky celebrated a recommendation by the European Union executive last week on inviting Kyiv to begin membership talks as soon as it meets final conditions, even as it fights to repel Russia's war. Fiona Jones with Reuters reports.
2: A milestone on Ukraine's road to membership of the European Union. (laughs) Commission President Ursula von der Leyen recommending the Council opens accession negotiations. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky praised the decision on Wednesday as a historic step as the nation struggles to repel Russia's invasion.
3: Ukrainians have always been and remain part of our common European family. Our country must be in the European Union. Ukrainians deserve it both for their defence of European values and for the fact that even in times of full-scale war, we keep our word and develop state institutions. All the necessary decisions are being adopted.
2: alliance says Kyiv currently meets four out of seven conditions to start formal talks, but must reach those outstanding before they can begin. Main progress has been achieved on the constitutional justice reform, on the selection of the High Council of Justice, the anti corruption program, progress on anti money laundering, important measures to curb the oligarchs' grip on the public life, new media law, and progress on national minorities. Russia's invasion of Ukraine put enlargement back at the top of the EU's political agenda as the geopolitical rivalry between Moscow and the West erupted with a new force. All 27 national EU leaders will vote in mid-December, with unanimous support needed for membership negotiations to progress. Hungary is seen as the main potential obstacle, with Prime Minister Viktor Orban wanting law changes on minorities. However, senior fellow at Bruegel think tank Heather Grab believes Budapest will back the bid, but in turn ask for concessions. So there will be some negotiations, but I, I think it would be very difficult for any European government at this point in time to say uh, we can't send this positive signal to Ukraine. It's really vital to send it. Moldova, Georgia and Bosnia and Herzegovina were also given pathways to membership on Wednesday. But negotiations take years before candidates meet extensive legal and economic criteria to
0: join. Fiona Jones with Reuters reporting. Germany's aid for Ukraine will be massively expanded next year, that from the foreign minister on Monday, as Kyiv heads into a second winter since Russia launched its full-scale invasion. Germany has become one of Ukraine's top military suppliers since the war started in February of 2022, sending material that includes tanks, armored personnel carriers, air defense systems, and Patriot missile systems. Seven Romanian pilots became the first trainees at a NATO-backed regional F-16 training hub, which opened Monday and will also be available to all allies and partners, including Ukraine.
3: The intent is to also train Ukrainian pilots in the training The hub.
0: European F-16 training center is hosted at a Romanian military airbase and using F-16 jets provided by the Netherlands. Dutch Colonel Olivier Bolk says the hub could start training Ukrainian pilots as early as next year. I
3: really see the need for them to get the F-16.
0: The United States in August approved sending F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine from Denmark and the Netherlands to defend against Russia as soon as pilot training was completed. Ukraine has actively sought the U.S.-made F-16 fighter jets to help it counter Russian air superiority. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. NATO allies last week condemned a decision by Russia to withdraw from the Treaty on Conventional Armed Forces in Europe, a key post-Cold War agreement, and said they would suspend its operation in response. The Russian military, days later, reported a successful test launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile designed to carry nuclear warheads from a new nuclear submarine. I spoke with Rose Gottemuller, lecturer. at Stanford University and former Deputy UN Secretary General under Yen Stoltenberg about the soaring tensions between Russia and the West. What is your sense of what's happening here?
4: Well, first of all, I think it's very important to bear in mind that nuclear weapon states, and there are five official nuclear weapons states under the Non-Proliferation Treaty, US, Russia, China, UK, and France. So nuclear weapons states need to test their nuclear missiles regularly uh, in order to ensure that they are reliable, in order to ensure that they are safe and uh, effective in their operations. So in some sense, it's it's routine, it's normal for the Russians to be testing their intercontinental ballistic missiles, whether they're sea-launched from submarines or ground-launched from uh, from intercontinental ballistic missile silos or, or launch vehicles. So first of all, it's in some sense routine. But then, of course, the timing is always interesting, the timing that is selected for these tests and also uh, the way they are then messaged to the public. And Russia very clearly wanted to send a message that it still is very much in the game with regard to nuclear weapons and very much in the game in terms of having effective delivery vehicles, effective missiles to launch them, whether, again, from submarines or from, from ground launching systems. So uh, there's a there's no no doubt that there is a message here. But on the other hand, I don't think it's a cause for major alarm.
0: What about the fact that President Vladimir Putin last week signed a bill revoked Russia's ratification of a global nuclear test ban. Is that sort of along the same lines of what you just said? Moscow said it, it, it was basically establishing parity with the United States.
4: Well, honestly, here is a case where I thought the Russians were very much shooting themselves in the foot once again because they were standing on a small scrap of moral high ground uh, among uh, the major nuclear weapon states. Only they had ratified the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. And when I say major, nuclear weapon states, I'm not meaning to downplay the role of the UK and France, but they have much smaller forces, and US uh, Russia have the two uh, biggest forces out there, and China is now building up. So neither the United States nor China had ratified the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, but the Russians were a leader in this regard. They had ratified it some years ago, and of course, they were constantly, for some reason, they nagged the United States more than they nagged China. But nevertheless, they were standing on that scrap of moral high ground, which they have now essentially torn up and thrown away by removing their ratification, withdrawing their ratification of the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. Now, again, let me be clear. I've seen somewhere, you know, oh, they've withdrawn from the treaty. They have not. They have signed the treaty, as has the United States. China has also signed it. Under the Vienna law on on, uh, treaties, it is necessary once you sign the treaty to abide by its principal commitments, whether or not you've ratified it and the treaty has entered into force. So the Russians say that they will continue to abide by the treaty as long as the United States does not engage in explosive nuclear testing, they will not engage in nuclear testing. So that is, uh, you know, a clear commitment that the Kremlin has made. It's an important one. But again, I really think they shot themselves in the foot by withdrawing their ratification.
0: So as former Deputy Secretary General of NATO, do you see NATO having any kind of Role in lowering the temperature here on all of this nuclear saber rattling, or is Russia is so anti-NATO? Is there just nothing that they can do to come together?
4: I think NATO uh, European countries, as well as Canada, have joined the United States in being very consistent in their message that they want to get back to the negotiating table. All uh, NATO countries have regretted very much the fact that Russia has has stopped implementing the new START treaty. Again, it stayed within the treaty; it hasn't withdrawn from. New Starts, It's staying inside the limits of the treaty as long as the United States does so. But it has ceased to allow on-site inspections of Russian facilities and bases. It's ceased to exchange notifications or data. Twice a year, the United States and Russia exchange comprehensive databases under New START. And Russia seized all that activity beginning in February of this year. Again, I feel like, uh, you know, this is a treaty that gives mutual predictability. So the United States and Russia are both uh, benefiting from it itself entirely reciprocal and Russians should want to know about the US nuclear forces too as we embark on a modernization program. But they chose to to stop their implementation of New START. So it's very good that the United States and all of its NATO allies have been very consistent in saying, let's get back to business with the New START Treaty. Let's prepare for the next round of negotiations to replace New START. All of the NATO allies have been supporting that line of effort, but also the notion if we can't get back to negotiating, let's at least do everything we can to minimize nuclear risks. So again, NATO allies are very much supporting that line of effort. And
0: along those lines, Russia appears to be sending a message, making a statement by these latest actions. Should the world be concerned that it could potentially go beyond that if things go south for its invasion on Ukraine? I mean, should, should there be deeper concern overall that not to just assume it's just saber rattling?
4: It's very concerning to me that Russia continues to uh, to engage in what i consider very irresponsible behavior just recently uh, the state-sponsored media showed uh, an attack on new york and san francisco using nuclear weapons and incinerating the two the two cities and it's just what <laughs> they've done the same with london uh, repeatedly in in recent months showing on state media what would happen if a nuclear weapon were launched on on one of these large cities and to me this is both unnecessary and very irresponsible and it makes me wonder, are they trying to somehow normalize the notion of of nuclear attacks with their own public? Because, you know, bear in mind, any kind of attack on the United States and NATO allies would bring about retaliation from from the United States. And honestly, uh, the Russians themselves would be suffering hugely as well. So as we like to remind everybody, there can be no winners in a nuclear war, only losers. And Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev said it best when they said nuclear war cannot be won and should never be fought. It's ironic, just in January of 2022, before Russia invaded Ukraine in February, the Russian president and the leaders of all the P5 countries, again, UK, France, China, Russia, and the United States, the nuclear weapon states under the NPT, they all reiterated this pledge saying nuclear war cannot be won and should never be fought. So it's, it's bizarre that there is so much Russian nuclear saber-rattling because there has been, and really consistently has been that pledge uh, from the highest level of of the nuclear weapon states. Rose Gautamuller,
0: lecturer at Stanford University and former deputy U.N. secretary general under Jens Stoltenberg. Russia has accused Ukraine of complicity of the recent mob which stormed the airport in Dagestan, Russia, in search of Jewish passengers arriving from Israel. Polygraph Info says the claim is baseless.
5: Since the escalation of the Israeli-Hamas war, the Russian government has amplified anti-Semitism through anti-Israeli propaganda. President Vladimir Putin condemned Israeli operations in Gaza, saying he watches it with clenched fists and tears in the eyes. Yet, top government officials claim Ukraine was behind anti-Israeli protests in the North Caucasus during the last days of October. The largest pogrom took place in Dagestan, where hundreds of Reuters overrun the Makhachkola Airport on October 29. Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zaharova blamed Ukraine. In the implementation of yet another destructive action, a direct and key role was assigned to the criminal Kiev regime, which in turn acted through the hands of notorious russophobes who have settled there. Russians' accusations against Ukraine are unsubstantiated. The Institute for the Study of War said Morning Dagestan, a Russian-language telegram channel, incited the pogroms. Ilya Ponomaryov, a Russian opposition figure who lives in Ukraine, created that channel to fight military conscription in Russia. Ponomaryov said he has not been in control of the channel since November 2022, when he passed his ownership over to a Dagestani Abakar Agalarov, residing in Turkey. However, the BBC reported that Ponomaryov called Morning Dagestan our channel in August and September 2023. In any case, Morning Dagestan is not controlled by the Ukrainian authorities. And Panomaryov himself does not hold any government positions in Ukraine. The word program originated from Russia, where violent anti Semitism has historic roots.
0: Polygraph Info is a fact-checking website produced by Voice of America. The website serves as a resource for verifying the increasing volume of disinformation and misinformation being distributed and shared globally. One of the largest synagogues in Ukraine opened in 1865 in the western Ukrainian town of Drohobych. During World War II, nearly all of the town's approximately 17,000 Jews were wiped out by the Nazis and their collaborators. Today, members of the town's Jewish community continue to support the Choral Synagogue and hope the people of Israel and Ukraine will stand victorious. Omelian Oshudlak has the story
6: all the members of the Drohobich, Boroslav, Truskovitz communities. The fall of 2019. This amateur footage captures a historic moment. David Avigdor, a rabbi from New Haven, Connecticut, enters the choral synagogue, a place of worship. His grandfather, chief rabbi of Drohobich, Yakov Avigdor, exited 80 years before. It was an honor not only to the Avigdor family who survived the Holocaust, but to all those we remember today. Seven young Hasidim from Kiev in the U.S. accompanied Rabbi Avigdor during his visit. Drohoboch, a town in western Ukraine, was one of the Jewish centers of Galicia before World War II. Yaakov Avigdor held his final service here on Yom Kippur in September 1939. Shortly after the start of the war. In recent years, Drobuch resident Leonid Goldberg has seen war up close both in Israel and Ukraine. He came under fire in 2019 when visiting his friends in southern Israel and had to hide in a mamat, a reinforced security room inside the apartment. In 2023, Russian rockets hit his hometown in
5: Ukraine. <laughs>
6: Children killed in Irpin, Bucha, Mariupol, and children killed in southern Israel. This is the new Nazism we face in the 21st century. Ukraine has been at war for 10 years. Israel has been repelling attacks since its founding. These two countries are now confronting global evil. A local tour guide and publicist, Goldberg doesn't share Jewish roots with those who built the 158-year-old synagogue. His father hailed from Kharkiv and his mother from Donetsk. The family moved to Drohobych during Soviet times. Most native Drohobic Jews were killed during the Holocaust, and today Goldberg is doing what he can to preserve the region's unique historical heritage.
3: The last pre war Jew of Drohobic died in 2015. It was Alfred Schreier, an outstanding musician and incredibly cultured man. At the beginning of the 20th century, there were three Roman Catholic Churches, seven Orthodox Churches and 17 synagogues in Drohobych. Today, there are no practicing rabbis here, but a lot of people caring for the tradition. This commitment has grown into an educational center. In
6: 2022, Yurkevich found himself defending Ukraine in the East. He remembers a friend from synagogue, helping however he could. He always
3: passes a lot of matzah to the front line. When vehicles with provisions couldn't reach us, the guys would come, and I'd distribute Jewish bread, as they call it. It helped a lot, because matzah doesn't go bad.
6: The Kural Synagogue of Drohobych underwent a decade-long restoration funded by charity organizations and is now the largest synagogue in western Ukraine, operated by one of the smallest Jewish communities. The Star of David intertwined with the Ukrainian trident, a symbolic emblem depicted on Goldberg's kippa. He enters the doors of the city's synagogue every day, hoping all the wars in this world will forever remain beyond these walls. Malianus Chudlyak for VOA News from Drohobach, Ukraine.
0: And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at com, And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Lori London.